0: So as often happens when it rains here, I I want to seek your counsel, Richard, cuz you live in Seattle if I remember where it rains every day and uh, with- Everyone's running around with those uh those, you know, fancy rain slickers, maybe from Columbia, REI, Patagonia here and there for people who like to shell out the cash. So it's been rainy here and and so my question is, what are the considerations that you put into footwear when it's moist so much? Like what I mean, I don't even know where to start. But there must be some thinking. Like you don't wear those duck boots all the time, right? So there must be something that you do.
1: Yeah, I can't really sport galoshes very well either. So mm. uh, yeah, depending on footwear, it's a good question. The other thing I've learned in Seattle is you actually don't use an umbrella unless it hits a biblical level of rain. Oh. So I became, I was shown as a, a newcomer very quickly when I broke out the umbrella and got laughed at in right. public. So uh, so you do have to be ready for the rain. We are at the floor. The footwear matters uh, mm-hmm. in terms of sneakers. Often, still, sometimes rubber shoes. Though people do have those in their closets.
0: Really, rubber shoes. So Bye. only only Noah's umbrella, rubber shoes, maybe. That so you got you got that covered. Hmm. Well, that's right. good. Well, we have a guest for this episode. Why don't you introduce yourself, guest?
2: Hello, <clears throat> my name is Guest, frequently referred to as Peter Humphrey. How are you, Michael Cote?
0: Just fine. Now, since you're on here. I'll give you a non sequitur question, which isn't totally non sequitur. What, you know, uh, what's up with the spelling of your name? Is that German?
2: It is a slight Dutch tribute to my mom's father who passed when she was quite young.
0: Now, is Uh, that Dutch like like New England Dutch, which is short for Deutsch, which is German or Dutch like Holland Dutch, like the orange people? It
2: is not German. It is not It is definitely Holland Dutch. If you've ever noticed, I look like that little dude on the front of the paint boy can, the Dutch boy paint boy can. That's that's oh yeah, that's 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 good
0: stuff. You should have you dressed up like him before with that haircut that he has. Is that called a page boy haircut? I forget. It is. It is exactly. I
2: try. I try to sport that look as often as possible.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> well, we have, uh, we have a few little news items to go over per usual. And then, uh, and then we, we have, we have Peter here because we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the wonderful worldwide of, uh, of, of Java Enterprise stuff, uh, which, which is, uh, you know, I, I don't have any connection to Page Boy haircuts there. So, uh, and, and, you know, feel free to tell us what you think of these new items, uh, news items, Peter. So first, first up, I noticed this too. Uh, I forget when this was. Actually, it's dated in the URL, which is nice. I guess it was announced at the beginning of January. But uh, Atlassian, renowned for being both Australian and having supposedly no sales force, which I, I always think is uh, in- <clears throat> interesting. Good yeah. claim there. Uh, yeah. But they bought, uh, they bought Trello. So uh, Trello of the, of the uh, Jeff Atwood coding horror founding fame and uh, Joel Spolsky mister Leaky abstraction, and uh, right. every coder needs their own office, so right. I think the purchase price was some some umpteen hundreds of millions of dollars which is which is oh
2: interesting
1: God. yeah it was around I think it was around four fifty and I think their revenue was around ten, so that was a nice multiplier
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good to be at Slack. Could to be a Trello, huh? Yeah. Well, first of
0: all, they're like uh they're a SaaS company. And they're basically uh they're like a Kanban board, right? Or or I should say they're 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 like they're like a Kanban toolkit. Now I'm I'm sure there there's always like the uppercase Kanban and the lowercase kanban people. Anything related to lean manufacturing always has sort of like a uh, sort of like a orthodox versus whatever you wanna do sort of split. But, you know, it seems like of all the kanban things out there, it's the most general-purpose, flexible one. You basically uh, have as many swim lanes as you want, which is to say vertical. If you imagine a screen, you got vertical towers there, things that go from top to bottom. And then you have some concept of cards, which you can move beyond these, these pillars, and you can name the pillars whatever you want and put whatever you want on cards, but you can also color them and assign them to people. So I guess the most basic usage... Other than making your own version of Pinterest, which, uh, you know, is sort of like the scourge of, of the craft world. You ever try to search for something and you come up with this Pinterest stuff and it's like, we're, you keep clicking on it and you're like, no, I want the picture. I want the picture. And then next thing you know, you've like uploaded all your photos somewhere. It's just, it's uh-huh. terrible. They, they need to solve that. Anyhow, I actually
2: feel your pain on that one. I have an eight-year-old daughter. I, I get Pinterest stuff all the time.
0: Yeah, uh, it's just it used to be useful. Used to be able to go there and just get pictures, but now I don't. I don't know what they do. They they probably have some JavaScript that does some random linking to itself, and it's it's just very confusing. Anyhow, uh, yeah,
1: uh, on the Trello front, I mean, so you oh, see thanks for
0: bringing of, us back. I was getting yeah, a little lost there.
1: The uh, you know, I've seen a lot of companies copying that. So GitHub Enterprise kind of added some of the the visual card kind of swim lane thing. Mm -hmm. Some other tools have as well. I think that some of this came from, if you read some of the material about this, is these companies are looking for more ways to adopt more than just technical users. Mm -hmm. And so, heck, I use Trello to plan my move up to Washington. Like there's other tools, usages for this besides just, you know sprint boards and things like that, although our marketing team does use Trello to, to plan our software or our marketing sprints. And of course, Pivotal has Pivotal Tracker. We love that for actual software release planning. But some of these tools have started to blur the line like Trello. So either way, it's cool to see them find a good home. I think there's some skepticism that Atlassian will keep them leave them alone and help them continue to do their thing. But hey, let's see.
0: Yeah, and it is basically project management tracking. And if, if I remember Jira does that in a, yeah. but more, more from the, the Bugzilla classic way. I haven't actually seen Jira in a long time. And, and like you're saying, as Peter will attest to, we've, we've screwed around with Trello here and there. I remember I once subjected it to, uh, on the team that I was on, which was, which was a delightful failed experiment in, in, uh, organization, but I don't know. I've tried, I think I even tried to use it for my, my wedding tour. Although I think, I think this is a little before that when I got married and, and, my wife is not interested in digitally optimizing her to do list. Just never works.
2: Hey, I can't get mine to even use a shared Google Calendar. So, uh, you know, consider yourself lucky. I, I like Trello. I've gotten used to it. I think it's just enough project management. It's lightweight enough. It doesn't really get in your way and it doesn't, you know yeah, it doesn't seem to want to take over your life. I, I like it a lot.
0: Yeah. Huh? Well, that's interesting. I, I uh I guess I should know better, but I never really I guess they did take investment from VC. What else you see out there
2: in the news, news sphere, Mr., Mr. Cote?
0: Well, there's, uh, let's see. What, what, what do we put in here? Uh, the one thing that, that, uh, that I mostly put in here, there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to go over. I think, uh, my former analyst firm 451 came out with a, uh, a market sizing for containers. And if I remember, it's, it's something I, and I bring this up just because I know people will be interested in this. It's, it's in the context the, of, of their overall, they call it cloud enabling technologies, or CET, uh, which which uh, I forget what the market size is there. But for containers, they put it at like seven hundred thirty or forty million dollars, which which uh, is interesting. But like that's a lot of revenue for containers. Yeah. Like I it it, it uh, I think they have some estimates for like uh, like Docker reven- revenue, and then I would guess like I mean the only people would have revenue would be like VMware with Photon stuff, and then Red Hat. I think. And then somehow we're listed in there, which is a little, we're listed in the, the overall private cloud way with, if what seems, what seems like an accurate amount of revenue. Uh, but we're listed in the container part, which is a little odd because we don't necessarily make money directly off of containers. So I'm not sure how they came up with it, It, which is all to say it's a fun sort of swag at what's sloshing around in the container market, but it's good to uh, look at with a little bit of, uh, I don't know. More wet finger in the wind than precise way to land on Mars correctly.
1: That's probably the uh the right comparison. I think you're you're trying to put things into buckets to to show momentum, but I don't even know if you have to manufacture it. There is momentum there, but there, are people making money? I think that's a fair question to ask. No. You know, Pivotal just finished up our, our greatest year. I think at this point we're making more than all straight up container and config management vendors combined. So there there's just a question of how much is of that as revenue straight up containers or platforms or whatever, but Hey, it's growing. And as you say, that's the direction we're going.
0: And I, and I think also more broadly, like the, uh, uh, four or five ones, one of the only people that does, uh, what I would call a, a, a proper private cloud market sizing the, the the way they categorize it and do it. And like, it's, it's, it's actually very hard to find private cloud market sizing, uh, uh out there. Like the, uh, as we'll talk about later, there's a category of software that Gartner has called, uh, Cloud enabled application platforms, or as I like to call it, creep. And, and, uh, that's right. It's, it's very Nixonian. Uh, and anyhow, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, there, that's, that's a slice of it, but it's, it's hard. The, the 451 one includes like OpenStack and I'm sure there's a few dollars for eucalyptus or something, but there, and, and then, and then VMware things. So it's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the better market shares for that. Well, what else did you find out there, Richard? You collected the other ones, so I'm handing it off to you. Yeah, there's
1: something on there. You know, there's a story the last couple weeks around all these MongoDB instances that have gotten hacked and then held for ransom. And so the the reason this came about is MongoDB doesn't have some default security on. So if you put these on Internet-facing networks, somebody who simply has the IP address of the database can access it with no password, and then they were taking the data and holding it for ransom. So you know, there was a lot of hand wringing, of course, about this. And I think it just continues mm. to drive home, though. You have to be careful with self-service data solutions and sometimes trying to solve the problem quickly isn't solving it right. So, mm. you know, what is the right thing to do there? Sure, in a pivotal world, it's a Bosch-enabled service for databases and things that you get a hardened database and still self-service. You know, in other places, if you're using cloud database to service, you're better covered. But, you know, developers like to solve problems. That's awesome. But this is, a, I think, a byproduct of doing that is that sometimes you can be left with uh, less than optimistic security
0: yeah with 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 no password on it that's uh, that seems like like a bad idea I mean I'm no I'm no security expert but uh, it doesn't seem like you should do that
2: rule number one of databases yes. mm-hmm.
0: have have a have a password
2: <laughs> yeah. that isn't passW0 yeah I know.
0: Yeah, that was reminding me of the you know you used to get a a router or or whatever you want to call it an access point, and it would it would often have a password. I don't know. I should probably go change the password on mine. It's just got some default gobbledygook that that was yeah. came with it. But
2: I was wondering what the you know. tweet storm is about in the last few days with all these companies saying, hey, you know, review your default security policy settings. I saw an elastic tweet about that. Now I now yeah. I understand. I didn't realize that came from Mongo. Yeah,
1: it's, it's pretty funny. scary stuff. Yeah, so it should should be a good wake up call for people to again focus on self-service, but responsible <clears throat> self-service. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I added was uh just today actually Oracle's been doing a uh, roadshow talking about some of their cloud stuff and they are also doing their investment in cloud IaaS expansion again they said so, somehow they were growing two times as fast as amazon which seems a little strange but nonetheless ignoring any usual oracle uh big claims you know they are expanding this year and you know they like to put themselves as one of the top three or four clouds at this point So i think it'll be interesting to see that continued fight for the second tier winner. Is that Microsoft and Google? Or does Oracle kind of get themselves into there? Will they be able to earn the credibility? But they're they're investing. And that's always mm. good to see if you're an Oracle customer.
0: Yeah, I, I can use I can use a uh, Trumpian rhetorical trick here and say like, you know, I totally could say that growth from zero is massive, but I'm not going to say that. They're great guys. They're great. Love them. Tremendous. So. <laughs>
1: that's right. So then you have a uh, your paper is finally nearing completion.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, uh, growth from zero, uh, yeah. So I, 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 uh, I did this paper last year, uh, just like it was more like a series of blogs that we put into a PDF. That's a great function of the uh, WordPress pro. Make yourself look fancy. Right click. But anyways, so I, I more collected together stuff I've been talking with people from the last year and while writing it. And it's, it's about 50 pages of, uh, just enough to make you wish it was 200 pages. So yeah. I, I pretty much have all of that uh, that done written, and I'm trying to. Uh, I'll I'll probably have our PDF people look at it. There was some publisher I was talking about who was vaguely interested in it, but I don't think they're interested in it. So hopefully we'll have that out, and I, I'll put a link to it uh, in in our show notes if you want to uh, look at it in its Google Docs form. I mean, if if you're someone who needs to have like really wide margins and and lots of fancy color in order to think something's good you should wait until there's a pdf version of it because it's just google Absolutely. docs and uh, and also on that note there's some there's some uh there's some uh, dancing around with our publishing stuff so i think i'll put the show notes for this episode on my blog just to make sure they're out uh and and it'll so i'll make a note of this at the end if i remember but i'm going to put it at cote.io slash conversations I don't know what number this is. Just go to conversations, and you'll find it. But uh, you got to you got to go look on my blog to find it, and I'll put it in the the little show notes that we'll be able to publish with. So, with that uh, with that with that jangly uh, overview there. So the 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 thing we wanted to talk about this week is I think uh, I forget when it was published. Uh, a couple months ago December. in December. Yeah, time flies. Uh, anyways, uh but the uh the two of the folks at Gardner who covered this space, Ann Thomas and uh and, and and another fellow whose name escapes me embarrassingly. Uh, they wrote a piece that was basically, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, uh, exciting, like, uh, bush banging to get people all, all riled up about it. And it was basically going over, I mean, I'll, I'll give my summary of it and then hand it over to you guys to summarize better. But essentially it was noting that the, uh, the way I would summarize it is that the pace of, of, of innovation, so to speak, of traditional Java application servers hasn't been keeping up enough with demands for new types of, of, Programming that is cloud native. They like to put a hyphen in it, which is great for them. Uh, so, you know, basically there's a new style of development that people should shift over to. And in the opinion of the two, the two writers, your traditional Java application servers are not going to cut the mustard. Maybe one day they will, but at the moment they're not, which they sort of back, they kind of uh, back solve to the idea that if you're doing what would be called JEE or used to be J2E enterprise Java applications, should probably not be doing that if you want to do cloud native things and then they also kind of back to like therefore if you're doing your uh digital whatnot your digital transformation stuff enterprise java is not is not your best bet and they give some recommendations and and uh i i think i think they have a uh you know there's not a lot of supporting evidence which in a thing like this you don't really have but they do do revenue and usage to show a decline in web sphere and, and web logic which I think it's interesting. And then over a three year time, a, uh, an increase in usage and revenue, or maybe it's just revenue, but an increase in revenue of, of non traditional Java enterprise things. And I think just to sum up, I think the other sort of points of proof that you would have is one gives the benefit of the doubt or, you know, many people don't, but one gives the benefit of it and out to, to a Gartner analyst that this also reflects conversations they've had with vendors about their own roadmaps and also conversations with end users about what they want to do. So the whole reason that, uh, other than it being, you know, interesting, uh, like we also licensed it so you can get a copy of it because it's, it's a pretty good endorsement of the pivotal way of life. Uh, but because it was available to read, it's very exciting. Normally people can't read this stuff. So there's actually a lot of controversial stuff going on behind the analyst paywall that people just like don't encounter, uh, but because it was available to read, there was like a whole like uh, you know speaking of rain, a storm of whatnot going on about it, and oh, so yeah. uh, see, it seems like a good summary. And 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 then I keep saying finally, but I think I think one of the better there's a good summary that's one of the uh, more professionally put together InfoQ pieces, just because it has so many uh, sources and everything about people talking about it and summarizing it, and even from the loyal opposition of our uh, our one of our dear leaders, Ian Andrews, kind of going over our our belief about uh, kind of our response to all of that. So there's a good piece summarizing it. And uh, since since Peter operates in this space, it seemed like uh, it'd be fun to talk about it.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So we'll, uh, yeah. So I wanted to chat with Peter about some of the kind of the spring piece of that. We'll go over that in a moment. I think that Kotei was a good summary. There was a good summary at the top that kind of said, look, the trend from this market guide, it's a market guide for App Platform. This is something Gartner creates themselves. It's not commissioned. It's not something that any vendor sponsors, but, they said, look, there should be a, a strategy to deal with the obsolete nature of Java EE, that you should be using application paths. That's kind of the modern middleware, That regardless of whether those other things are okay. Modern middleware is now kind of in a platform as a service layer. And then what, arguably one of the most interesting points that I think Pivotal actually liked more than the other ones was you should be designing all your apps to be cloud native. Whether they're running in the cloud or not, that is the paradigm you should be pursuing for all of your sort of systems and I think that's a it's a good call to action for leaders who might think that you know they can just do certain things in a modern way and and other things not. So, you know, with all that, Peter, I don't know if you want to give us a quick uh, sure, thirty yeah. second. First of all, who the heck are you and uh, what do you do in the spring side? How will people maybe recognize your name?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thanks, um, Richard. I Appreciate it. And Cote. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've been waiting for this report for a long time in some ways because I think it just kind of acknowledges what I've seen as reality. Um, I do. <clears throat> I work for Richard in product marketing. Uh, and on the Spring Cloud Foundry uh, team. And uh, before coming to Pivotal, uh, I worked at BEA Systems for WebLogic for many years, from like 2001 to 2008, uh, when we got acquired by Oracle and then stayed on for a few years, uh, about four years, uh, doing WebLogic Server, Java EE development tool product marketing. So, you know, <clears throat> I saw the revenue numbers, you know, where the bodies are buried. You know, it's, uh, um, I, I've kind of seen the whole wave. I mean, that's where I grew up, really you know, technologically speaking.
1: Yeah. And you're, so now you're kind of our spring guy among many other things, of course. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about how spring gets developed and shipped out today. I mean, this is something that has, has taken off a lot. And if you pay any attention to spring releases, there's things seemingly getting shipped all the time. There's milestones, there's releases, there's different projects. It's yep. not a monolithic release once a year or anything. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how the spring, you know, get a little peek behind the curtain, about
2: sure. how spring hits the market. Sure. Yeah. Totally. We um, so there's a I'd say at the high level there's a fast lane and a slow lane. Um, if you want the fast lane, we release uh, milestones that are usually our feature bearing um, out to the developer community, so people can get the bits you know as soon as humanly possible, right? Zero zero weight and try to you know continuously deliver stuff as much as possible. Um, so we will host feature bearing milestones. Uh, then we'll move into a release candidate phase to get community feedback, and you know it's signal to folks. Hey, this is good enough that we think it's worth you kicking the tires for five or ten minutes to give us some feedback, um, and then eventually things will will go GA status, and those bits also get hosted um, at Maven Central or I think it's JCenter for Gradle users. Um, but if you want things like uh, milestone builds or nightly builds, even from our CI uh, pipelines, um, you know we have a separate repo for that that's not Maven Central. We host our own version of Maven Central on Artifactory, so that's kind of the fast lane, and and all the projects iterate. Independently, hmm.
1: right? Um, There's lots of projects.
2: Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. One thing Spring does not suffer from is the lack of projects. That's <laughs> certainly true. Um, and uh, they all. The nice thing is though that they really can iterate independently. And the main, uh, the, sort of the main trunk of the tree and the main dependency is, is the Spring framework, which is your core application context and and, and version of control container. The um, on the fa- on the slow Spring I O platform. So we'll do a slower release cycle actually enjoy that that slower pace Mm. Uh, and they're they're going to want to pick things up once a year Um, you know if you're still kind of in that three tier Mm. monolithic world that that's often the cadence of things every six months once a year Um, so every six months once a year kind of cadence uh, we do release something called Spring IO platform where uh, there'll be a big bang release train of all of the projects in Springdom And they've been compatibility tested to work with each other, as well as the metric ton of third-party open source uh, that we do testing with. And you can find information about that online uh, on the Spring IO platform page. Uh, But so, yeah, short version is there's a fast lane and a slow lane for people who work at different paces. Awesome.
1: Yep. You know, one of the things that uh, I guess I look forward to and you surprise me as much as you do everyone at this company uh, once a month when you share the Maven download numbers yeah. about uh, Spring Boot. And so it's a good way for us to get a sense of the growth of the project. And it's not a perfect metric, oh, it's just, it, but it's something, right? It, it demonstrates growth. So I guess the question is, tell me a little bit about the growth of Spring Boot's. Yeah. And which of the projects, because there are lots of projects, are you seeing more hockey stick growth than others?
2: Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, certainly the one that blows them all away is the Spring Framework, right? I mean, that's the core base of the stack. Spring uh, Spring Boot is sort of an alternative uh, to Spring Framework Um, at that level. It's sort of the base of the stack. All the other projects in the ecosystem build on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It used to be a truism, you know, issues with Maven numbers aside, right? We, We know that it's not perfect. The number gets inflated by CI builds, but we don't report on Gradle numbers and there's all kinds of issues with it. But, you know, what? at least it's an apples to apples compare every month and the trend line is what matters. So, um, you know, certainly Spring Framework uh, has blown away everything in terms of download numbers. But aside from that, Spring Security has always, always and always been the number two project in the ecosystem. Um, which we always, I always took to mean an indicator of, hey, folks are actually going to production mm-hmm. with this stuff, right? Because right. they're, they're going to, you know, they need to secure it and, and put on some controls. So, our, you know, lately Spring Boot has actually eclipsed Spring Security uh, in terms of total number of downloads. So it is now the number two ecosystem project, which makes sense if you think about it, because it's going to grow to kind of fit the, the headroom. That spring framework has, yeah, right. Um, but uh, looking within the ecosystem itself, um, security is definitely, uh, you know, almost always on top, uh, in terms of the number of projects followed by quickly by spring cloud, uh, and spring data, which are coming up fast. I, I'm, I'm not sure who, which one's beating out which one this month, but, um, spring data has been a perennial high downloader for many years. But what I think is really surprising is I have never seen a spring project come up the curve as quickly as spring cloud in terms of the downloads. It is already at like a million million downloads a month plus. And that that puts it in like the top three, top four.
1: Wow, and a lot um, of that's config server. I
2: think we've talked about right, yep. You and I. Yeah, yep, exactly. A lot of that I think is, is the popularity of config server. And then just the, the popularity of uh, microservice architecture in general I think is really uh, putting a lot of air into that. And awesome. people looking to build distributed systems at the app level, absolutely. So, so here, you know, I, I, I wanted to
0: get y'all's take, uh, uh, especially with your, uh, knowing where the stink of all the rotting bodies are thing, Peter. Like, yep. like of the, uh, the kind of like poofy pants reaction that all of this got. And it seems like, as often <laughs> happens, it's sort of like there's a, uh, there's a pretty big, deep ditch of nuance, uh, where people can like dive into and, and kind of like Rorschach their way into like however they want to interpret this stuff. So I think, I think the, uh, so it seems to me that, like, if I were to distill down what what the report is saying, I mean, I said it, uh, and I shouldn't say report, it's more of, like, an opinion piece. Uh, yeah. But what it's saying is that, and I summarized this already, is that, like, so there's a new way of doing development, and uh, the way, if, if you were just to get the stock, uh, like, JEE stuff, it's not really going to support that, and it's not going to be your best bit for doing it. And then on the on the other side, you have the, uh, uh, the 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 fantastically named people who are like the guardians of JEE, which I I, I guess, you know, sort of tells you what their response is going to be. Uh, right. And, yeah. and and their interpretation when they go down into that uh, that mired ditch is like, well, they're saying JEE is dead and that we might as well go delete it all. And that's obviously demonstrable false, demonstrably false, because, as they point out. Like, there's all these things, even in the, uh, the you know, you just sort of catalog the momentum behind, uh, I, I guess, what's traditionally been, uh, at least in a straw person kind of way, like the uh, one of the main competitors of JE, but as I'm about to say, all many and many, if not all of these, these JE frameworks are often used in all of in, in enterprise uses of Java, which is to say you wouldn't just go delete all this Java EE stuff. There's just new ways of using it and, and and new ways of doing things. And it seems like that sort of nuance, which has always existed in the Java enterprise world, right? It's always been sort of the fact that uh, whether you're 100% using JEE or just using the bits and pieces that you want, like both of those things are totally normal ways of doing things. And more of I mean I forget who it was, but some one of the uh, one of the responses that summarized it well is I think I think and it wouldn't have been that interesting of well it would have been interesting, but for a different reason is more pointing out like it's probably not a great idea to just use WebSphere and WebLogic, <laughs> like I mean right. it, to to like I think that's kind of the thrust of the report, and instead there's this new way of doing development that's probably a better way of going about doing things. So. That's a bunch of statements, but I mean, I mean, like, like, am I wrong? It was about uh, a little over 10 years since I actually programmed in Java, but like, hasn't it always been this way? Like, it's always been the case that JE is really slow and there's always like in the JCP, there's always a bunch of like vendor stink stuff going on. That's always annoying and it's lagging. And it's just like, I feel like this is more a description of what's always been going on in the Java enterprise world than sort of like some gigantic thing to freak out about.
2: It, it's been going on since 2004. I mean, I was a, when I was at WebLogic, the, part of what kept the success and part of what made it be the default choice at the time, right? I mean, back then it was Sun, Oracle Database, WebLogic Server. You know, that was, that was your default web stack. That was how you got off client server, man. Mm-hmm. That's how you got to the Internet, right? And, um, you know, they've, they've been, since spring came out in 2004, you know, a lot of the ISVs that we were partnering with at the time, You know, they said, well, see ya. We don't need you anymore. We've got Apache Tomcat now, and we can get all the Java EE features on top of Tomcat. We, you know, Spring decoupled uh, Java EE feature set from a Java EE server and allowed you to just run it on a servlet engine. Where Spring Boot takes it one level further and decouples Java EE and then a whole lot of other stuff that Java EE doesn't even address, decouples that from the servlet engine and just says, hey, all I need is a JVM. That's it. Right. So there's this constant trend of sort of less infrastructure to boot up before, pardon the pun, um, to boot up before you can uh, before you can get to work. And um, I mean, that's been happening since 2004. So it's not a new trend. I think what they're calling out, though, is that Oracle and IBM, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the best practice at the time for many years was to spackle over the revenue losses by uh, counting the revenue numbers and bundling the revenue numbers. From layered products on top of the application server, in Oracle's Oracle case, mm. was things like Suite or SOA Suite or other things that were uh, required WebLogic as a as a runtime environment. But nobody was really using WebLogic as a platform for custom app dev. They were just using the app that it ran in, right? Right. Um, and because Oracle actually did a fairly credible job of, of taking or- of WebLogic and integrating it across their middleware portfolio. Um, uh, they have a long and glorious history of, of throwing out their, their middleware stack um, even before I joined on in two thousand eight. But uh yeah, so not a new trend I think what they're just calling is that wow, you know, SaaS, cloud, other things are eroding those top level products from IBM and, and Oracle enough that they can no longer obscure the, the, the core absorpted revenue loss. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah yeah. Yeah. No I, yeah. I, I think I think I think the way the way you bundle together your uh Your uh, your app dev stack is always is it's not as clear cut as like Atlassian, for example, which has distinct product SKUs and they sell like that. I mean, it's it's uh, totally such as the nature of a solution sort of sale, which which uh, you know, back when I was an analyst, very annoying and tedious, especially. Our, our buddy's son would never break out their software revenue. Always made it very difficult to figure out what's going <laughs> yeah,
2: on. Yeah, I'm sure it's super irritating for analysts. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe, this is, uh, maybe this has come up in this, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I
1: mean, this, <laughs> you know, this,
2: a little bit. And this comes up in cloud, too, as Microsoft
1: doesn't bake out their cloud numbers, and Amazon does now. Yeah. But so, I mean, we're probably doing this again with cloud. But, yeah. you know, to that point, Peter, so I assume then this market guy didn't surprise you when this came out. So, I mean, this was something that, you know, Forrester said, why are you still using classic Java app servers six years ago? I mean, that was a blog post they had six years ago. Redmond talks about this. Yep. So, I mean, was this a hot take?
2: No, I mean, uh, you know, one of the Google engineers had a hilarious tweet about, you know, when when, you, when you're when you sort of <laughs> getting up in arms about uh, Gartner being a little too progressive <laughs> and forward looking, you know, in their reports, it, it's time to sit down and think about what the heck you're saying. Um, I, I, so definitely not a, not a hot take. I think, I think they're just acknowledging what I just said in terms of it's starting to show up in their revenue numbers now and they can't obscure it anymore. And therefore it gives the analyst something to, 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 you know, chew on. And they've been, you know, the trend in the Java EE community has been to continually prune the scope of the API and repackage it into ever smaller scope to kind of start, shedding off what's become irrelevant over the course of a decade and there's still things that are certainly relevant in java EE, and and even gartner points out at the end of that report right there's still quite a lot of revenue over there Mm -hmm. right but it's just they're calling the the, they're signaling the shift they're just saying that that things are things are um you know things are headed in in a in a unquestionably headed in a new direction so that's also Oh, yeah, please go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, so this is a little
0: bit like asking the fo- fox to describe how the hen conveniently located itself in its mouth. But like, right. What what what's the deal with like, with like oracles, like, uh like, I don't know, digging in their heels and like weirdness about the agenda. Like if I remember back in like, I shouldn't say if I remember because I went and reread this stuff. Back in July, they were like, "Ah, we're gonna delay something," and then there was some stink, and then they weren't gonna delay something or something. Like it, it seems right, like right, it, right. it seems like almost um, going back to like back when it was Hudson instead of Jenkins. Like Oracle's never quite figured out like open community management, and like uh, and again, what with the the weird fox metaphor. Uh, but like, what what's been like all the way up to the present, like, what's their relationship with something like Java? Like, what do you what do you think their motivations are?
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's for them, you know, certainly their middleware business was uh, predicated on it. Right. You know, a good chunk of their middleware business. Um, a, a lot of other things, uh, if you look at. Uh, I think it was called Fusion was the announcement at the time, uh, Oracle's Fusion middleware. And then, you know, Thomas Curran and I think at the time it was Ted Farrell had hatched a plan to rewrite Oracle apps, which is a huge moneymaker for that. Huge moneymaker. And write that all in ADF. And all of ADF and JDeveloper is, in fact, in, wait for it, Java. Right. So there, there's definitely a long term. You know, uh, investment protection thing for them, and I think also, you know, when they bought Sun, they got they got MySQL. You know, they got a bunch of other great things out of that acquisition. So, um, you know, I think it was uh, I think it was long term investment protection for them. But the, the thing is, with Java EE specifically, uh, you know, I think what that Gartner report points out is that there's more going on in in 2016 and 2017 than than JVM. JVM. Uh, and you know, their their Oracle's investment is going into their cloud services, right? They're they're not they can't afford to invest in something like Java EE because it's it's not making them any money and hasn't been since around 2005. Um, you know, right. their layered products certainly make money, but those are, I think, what the report is calling out, finally mm-hmm. starting to decline because of SaaS, because of cloud. You know, and they they're just you know, and like I said, the 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 trend and the, the Java EE specs themselves have been shrinking. You had something called Java EE Web Profile introduced a number of years ago. What was that? It was pruning a bunch of Java EE and making a smaller scope of Java EE APIs. I mean, I think it was originally around 33 JSRs or 33 APIs and, and even non-standard efforts like the micro profile from, uh, from Red Hat. You know, I, I think right now they're talking about single digit numbers of APIs like CDI, JAXRS, Servlet, a few other things. I mean, that's what it's come down to. Right. You know, that those are the parts that are still relevant. Ironically, those are the parts that Spring Framework takes dependency on uh, things like Servlet that are super ubiquitous. But, yeah, Oracle's investment, they are, you know, they've got to catch up a lot on the cloud and they they are hell bent on doing so. And that's where all of their engineering effort is going. Um So they I just see it as they just literally can't afford to to do it all. And they've got to make business decisions and Javi's is getting the short stick.
0: So, so who would you say, like, like I said, I'm like 11 years out of date, although nominally I followed this stuff when I I was an analyst. So I guess I knew what was going on then, but like, uh, like, like who would you say are the big Java community leaders nowadays? Like, you know, whether it's commercial or not commercial, like what, uh, what company people would you name?
2: Revenue, revenue aside, you know, if you count by revenue, obviously it's it's IBM and and Oracle, but if you look at thought leadership and, and innovation, you know, it's, uh, the, the people that have been getting it done in the Java E community are, are really this, I think, what they call the gang of four. You know, it's a IBM Liberty, um, a company called Pyara, I think, uh, which is like a glass fish distro, if memory serves. Yeah. Um, uh, Wildfly Swarm from, from Red Hat uh, slash JBoss and an open source project called Tommy E. Uh, and, and those are the folks that are sort of innovating outside the spec and getting it done. They're doing, funny enough, exactly what Spring has been doing since 2004, innovating outside the spec and getting it done um you know so yeah um you know they they just uh yeah they're they're you know they're just they're for they're stuck out innovating outside the spec and um they're they're doing their best but you know it's it's a committee-based process and you know at a time of disruptive innovation like we're experiencing now where the whole stack is up for grabs there is no standard option by definition you know people are just There's so much white space right now that people are just, you know, they're looking for an option, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? That's why opinionated solutions are so popular these days, because it's like, great, you have a friggin' opinion. You've got a a stack that's integrated. I love you, right? You're an option. You're a viable option. Yay. Right. Right? So, yeah.
1: Well, and the spring adoption trends have been pretty clear, especially spring boot adoption (laughs) trends. I mean, one of the – as we think about the developers who are using this, so as we get past the, uh, you know, vendor inside baseball of how they prioritize – If I'm a developer and I'm an enterprise thinking of what to do, part of the market guide said you should have a plan today to figure out what to do with your more obsolete JE stuff. You'd be thinking about, you know, is Java E right for my cloud native apps? They say no, pretty pretty straightforward. But more importantly, what's an enterprise to do here? Should they be thinking about containerizing their existing stuff? Should they be thinking about lifting and shifting? You know, sure. I mean, Pivotal spends a lot of time helping companies modernize onto something like Spring Boot. But, you know, Peter, as you're thinking about the fortune 500 company that comes in going, gosh, my half, my estate is Javi. What am I supposed to do? What is some good advice that you've seen now from Gartner and others for, for helping modernize here?
2: Um, So actually uh, I owe a lot of my insights to Rohit Kalipur and uh, Larry Dino's team who's out there doing this every day, uh, uh, pivotal service folks that are, that are out there in the trenches. And and that's where I've gotten some of my, a good chunk of my insights. But um, you know, I think at the highest level, you know, you're faced with a, you can you can replatform you can kind of freeze things in place and in some cases you can dockerize them if it's an application if it's a java ee application that isn't particularly revenue gener- generating particularly business critical right um maybe just let it run right and and uh, you know kind of freeze it neutralize it you're not going to iterate on it much you're not going to maintain it much just if there's no business imperative to rewrite it you're not going to get the funding for that project eternally anyway so just figure out a way to neutralize it and kind of freeze it in time right um for as long for as long as you can That's a viable strategy until, uh, you know, Oracle's end of life support terms uh, for certain things run out. But I think, uh, you know, that that's one place where Oracle does well in terms of, you know, revenue. Right. And with the computer associates model of kind of cleaning up and milking everything you can out of, uh, um, you know, long term, uh, slow moving type of applications. So that's one strategy. Uh, Second is. Um, you know, if you're if we're talking about in the category of existing apps Richard, which mm-hmm. I think is what you said, right? right. Existing apps because new apps is sort of a different answer, but we'll I mean, new apps it seems like yeah,
1: they're pretty clear on where you should go, but yeah, right, keep right. looking at existing portfolios.
2: Right. And then so uh, there's a process that uh, we go through called replatforming. Um that's an option for uh, you know, hey, this this app it's not super business critical, it's not the core of my business, but you know, I can't, uh, I can't freeze it in time anymore. Uh, the end of life's policy for the various vendors involved in the mix have come up in my face. I, I'm forced to move for one of those reasons or some other reason that's business-related, uh, ideally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not because you got painted into a corner. Um, but uh, the replatforming is, is sort of like, let's take a look at this Java EE application. And I think if you, if you can paint a little um, uh, an X and Y axis in your mind um, you know, The more Java EE non-standard, uh, vendor-specific or, or extended Java EE features you use, the harder it is to kind of replatform. The, the more you kind of stuck with the sort of trend that started happening around 2004, which was stick with servlets and use Java EE servers as more of a web app mm-hmm. container, as opposed to things like uh, transactions or messaging and stuff like that. Although, actually, that's not fair. There's still a lot of messaging usage. But, um, uh, you know, the, the the deeper you got into Java EE, the more difficult it can be to re-platform. But if you're one of those many people that in the last decade is kind of stuck with it more as the web container, you're probably in decent shape, and you just need to be looking for certain 12-factor violations, uh, things like local disk usage dependencies, uh, you know, stateful mm-hmm. uh, instances of stateful stuff, stateful session beans, um, in-memory session persistence that maybe you've set to go to the disk, uh, java transactions where you're using the file system etc right. uh, that kind of stuff can be replatformed and you remove those 12 factor violations the, the absolute minimum of them just to get to work on the cloud right so that's like i'm going to invest the least amount of effort i'm going to get the least amount of return but that's maybe what's appropriate for your particular class of business app that's not super mission critical but geez i can't leave it sitting alone anymore to die like a mainframe app
1: and maybe that's the first step to getting them onto a APAS in Gartner terms, an application right. platform. Like now right. they run nicely on Cloud Foundry. They run on other exactly. places, even if exactly. they're not yet optimized. Right.
2: right. It, it can, it can run, period. It's not taking advantage of, it's not exploiting, it's not designed for. And that's what Gartner's saying in terms of develop net new stuff yeah. this way. In fact, I would add a little nuance to that. Um, I think, I think monolithic applications, maybe not necessarily three tier, mm-hmm. but monolithic applications certainly can run in the cloud. Uh, as long as they've been, you know, as long as those 12-factor uh, violations have been engineered out. Um, and it's certainly appropriate for applications to begin life as a monolith. It's just, uh, in fact, there's great talks. I don't know, uh, Kote, have you ever run across this guy, Simon Brown? Uh, he's a frequent speaker. He has an amazing talk on monolith, on modular monoliths. And it's like if you're going to get started with a net new app today, design your your monolith, but design it with future decomposition in mind. You know, use domain-driven design concepts. That's a great way to start. Um, if it's a business critical, critical application, you might just want to, you know, skip right past go, do not collect two hundred dollars, and go right to cloud native and start designing microservices. It's, it's like
0: I think I think I think everyone knows that the uh, the modular monolith nature of the Power Rangers robot always defeats the single unit monster. Now they never learn oh. that it's always oh. going to become giant at the end. So why don't you just become giant at the beginning and stomp it? Maybe there's some Every, energy crisis, but you know it's more modular.
2: Everything we needed to know, we we learned in kindergarten. It's it's true, Kote. It really is. That's, so you know you know I I had a you
0: know, as as you're going over that, I was thinking, uh, and and there's no as 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 much uh, many many things I ramble on about here. There's no no easy solution to it, but it seems like there's uh, there's this constant tension that I, uh, for lack of a better phrase, an architect of a project has to go through of. Thinking about which standard you're writing to. And, and you were kind of pointing out, like, I mean, you know, JE and Java is a standard. So you could write your application to those standards. But then the problem becomes when, uh, when a new standard comes about, like I would argue, uh, I don't know, coding to Linux. Like I don't, I don't know if, if that's how people would characterize Docker, but like, let's say coding to the internet, you know, HTTP and to, to the way that Linux mostly works. Like then it's it's like as we were going over it starts to be kind of annoying to make like twelve factor apps if you've like done all this JEE stuff and uh, you know I, I think I think back when uh, back when when Ruby and Lamp were coming about it was kind of like the Linuxy internet threat to the standard of JEE. But I guess it, it does come, and, and again, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to figure out. But as, as this, this write-up kind of addresses, you know, this write-up saying like, you should do things in a cloud-native way, which, yep. you, you know, once, once you, you take some, uh, Pepsi at AC or whichever one and get your, your sort of like fire in the belly about JE taken care of, it is good to ask the question, well, what does that mean? What is a cloud-native thing? And, you know i i think it gets to this muddled thing i'm going over which is it's a different set of norms and conventions that you follow to write your design your application so that it's more portable to some extent and you know another another sort of annoying phrase that people use this is like lock in which as 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 any good vendor such as ourselves would do it's always a question of like well you're always going to have lock in you just need to choose who your lock in is right, right. Uh, and, and and where exactly and so, and so i mean i think i think that's that's um you know, and I've gotten some some requests from people or been involved in conversations about like, we need to better define what cloud native is. And I think that's more of what's interesting over the next couple of years is to, to say, whatever this new set of conventions and norms is, what does that look like for various communities? And how should people be thinking about selecting it for new applications or moving things over? I mean, as you mentioned, you know, we, we had Rohit on a, a while ago to talk about moving from uh, traditional, uh, you know, um, ESBs to different ones and stuff like that. And I think that's more of what's cool. meaty and interesting is how to how to update things and how to uh, fit to the new norms that exist.
1: Yeah. Yep. I always love reading about our case studies to take, as you say, there's there's some apps that you just kind of freeze in place. There's mis- non-mission critical things that you do some light refactoring on. And then there's the, this thing powers our business. We need to modernize it. Yep. And we love those as well when it comes into how do we make these more flexible, continuously delivered uh, the last question I wanted to ask you, Peter, was, you know, part of the uh, almost comical back and forth on, like, the InfoQ
2: article, which
1: at some point I, I enjoy it. It's it's such insanity. But, oh, I'm out of popcorn.
2: I don't have any left in my but, house.
1: But, I mean, I think to be clear, like, hey, we love Java. Yeah. You know, and we depend on Java E for a number of things. So I guess I want to close on a, a positive note of I, totally. I think we're all friends here. I think we're just trying to rec- look at how are we helping customers deliver better software faster. Yeah. And the consensus is seeming to be around cloud native patterns, flexible application platforms. And that's just a little incompatible with some of the legacy tool set. Doesn't totally. mean it wasn't great in its time. and doesn't mean you couldn't even use it now. It's just not meant for
2: it. Exactly. So, right. I mean,
1: in your mind, you are we all friends here?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we, we collaborate quite a bit with the, the Java JSR expert groups around APIs like JPA. Uh, uh, I think they even kind of uh, they, there was a proposal on the table Uh, for them to do an MVC JSR, you know, and they were consulting with Rawson, who's the lead for Spring MVC, and, and, you know, um, so things like uh, JPA, JMX, um, Servlet, obviously, uh, Servlet being the, the the base, a lot of the base of the stack of the Java ecosystem for the last decade. I mean, those are places where we, we certainly collaborate with, I mean, we've inspired them uh, on a number of things, certainly, but, I mean, stuff like JPA is mature, it's solid, you know, it's, you know, you can you can argue whether or not you like having object relational mapping as a technology, but I mean, they've done a pretty good job with some of these core specs. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. To your point, you know, people are probably going to still use them today. It's just being able to use them in a modular way and divorce them from the all singing, all dancing container. Uh, you know, that makes things a little bit more flexible, right? We need things to be self-contained in the cloud today. Not, you know, hey, I need to lay out this whole runtime that my app has to somehow fit all these sockets as a developer programmer. And it's like, nope. I'm just going to bundle the dependencies I need in with the app. Get a nice self-contained little unit, and then I can CI script that until the cows come home and push it around and make it immutable infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to pets, not cattle, right? That's right. So, all um, right, and I, yeah, I, th- I think just the, the interesting idea, you know, is, is with immutable infrastructure. And, and you mentioned Docker. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Hey, well, can I just Dockerize Java EE?" And it's like, well. You know, the second you lay down an EE server as immutable infrastructure, you're sort of violating the whole concept of an app server. I mean, the whole idea of an app server was, hey, I have a mutable process on top of the JVM. I'm going to deploy stuff to it. I'm going to undeploy to it. I'm going to change configuration. It, it's hold state, mm-hmm. right? Whereas uh, Dockerizing a a cluster, a non-cluster Java EE app server, sure, it's just it just boots up and runs the same WAR file over and over and over again. That's its only job in life. I mean what's the point of an app server then? It starts to look like a framework, a bunch of libraries on disk, which smells remarkably like a framework and not an app server.
1: Mm.
2: So, um, you know, just dockerizing Java EE doesn't get you cloud native either. But, um, well, listen, thanks so much for having us on. I think it's an exciting, I think it's an exciting time. And, and, um, you know, uh, we we look forward to continuing to collaborate with the the Java EE folks uh, on those specs and, you know uh, see that they're not going anywhere anytime soon yeah,
1: make it spring awesome. how do we uh I'm gonna steal the cote line How do we find you on the interwebs?
2: uh you can find me at Peter Humphrey with that pie eater uh Dutch spelling thanks Cote um or uh i'm I'm anonymously known as spring central uh in in my my uh <clears> on <throat> um, web alter ego very good
0: yeah i I never realized it spell's pie eater that's fantastic
2: eat so you what I
0: pay attention to.
2: I I got a box of pens for my ninth birthday from my aunt and uncle that said this pen did belong to Dieter Humphrey because clearly I had to, you know I was I misspelled my own name and it was actually the German Dieter. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: huh. yeah. Well, I I mean I mean as as I'm fond of saying with with a, a funny name like mine you can you can imagine I'm, I'm obsessed with other curious names anyhow yeah you know I, I just as one last thing before i totally wrap up i think i think this is also you know we're kind of fond of commenting on industry analysts this is another because you can access the report and all the commentary around it it's a good it's a good study in industry analystness if you will uh sort mm-hmm. of all over the board so uh so that's fun as well anyhow uh this is Thanks always for having me on okay. yeah sure this has always has been uh, pivotal conversations like i said earlier we're we're like updating our cms system or something like that uh but i'm going to put the show notes for this since there will be uh many of them at cote.io/conversations47 um and maybe i'll put future ones there we'll see but uh it would be great if you, if you like this episode, or even if you didn't dislike it, especially if you didn't dislike it, listen very carefully and do the following, not what you may like. It'd be good if you subscribe to it when in whatever uh, Overcast or iTunes, that's that's always the best thing to do. And it's also good if you, uh, you want to tell your friends about it or p- uh, promote it, do some word of mouth stuff, and it'd be great if you went and left a review in, in iTunes or hit that little recommend thing in uh, Overcast. I don't really know what any of those do, but it's always uh, gratifying to see. Uh, that there's more people listening and responding to this as delightful as it is for Richard and I just to sort of like uh, talk at each other and discuss rubber boots. It's always good to know that there's other people out there as well. So we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.